This is LBC from Global, leading Britain's conversation. The best of Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. I hope your weekend has started well. I'm with you for the next couple of hours to ease you gently into your Saturday morning. In an hour's time, I'll be in conversation and I'll be telling you who I'll be talking to this week a little bit later on. Before that, I'll give you a chance to catch up on some of the best bits from the 4am spike this week. What do you mean you missed some of the programme? I expect a note from your parents or your doctor at the very least. So over the next hour, the best of Steve Allen. You'll hear what grabbed my attention over the past week from the massive stories we've all been reading and talking about to the barely Z-listers that we have to Google just to remember who they even are. Don't bother please texting, tweeting or emailing me about what you're having for breakfast, because I don't care, or what your favourite biscuit is. I couldn't care less at the best of times anyway. I'm Steve Allen and I'm with you until 7 o'clock this Saturday morning. So sit back, open your ears and enjoy the conversation. What is the spend on a present? So in other words, all right, here's a hypothetical question, but it's not really hypothetical. I've got three three godchildren. One is 14, one is 20-something, and the other is 20-something as well. So how much do you spend on each child? Do you spend the same on all of them? Oh, do, oh right, you think it's... Oh, you, oh you're right. Well, you've got the 14-year-old and the 23-year-old get the same. Oh, right, OK. And what would, how, much, how much would it be? How much would it be? How much would you would you spend on somebody of that age? Fifty pounds. Okay, right. I'm spending more. I'm spending more because I don't think you can get anything for that nowadays. I think if they're well, you've never been part of the production team, so it won't make any difference to you. They are, the first day, and already he's asking about the gifts at Christmas. They always get presents at Christmas. They always get money. <laughs> Look, he's interested now. Interested now. Woo-wee. But, of course, it determines, it's determined by how long you've been on the programme and, and how much the programme values you. That's how it works. Nick Ferrari takes all his team out for, a, for a, a lunch and booze and all the rest of it, so they all stagger back the worst for wear. We don't do that. We just give sort of, you know... Because you get presents basically every day. Every day there is a present that arrives... You know, so judging by, you know, whether you survive Christmas determines on how big it is. You know, it could either be a little tiny present or it can be a slightly bigger than tiny present. What does Dave O'Brien do to treat his staff at Christmas? He reads extracts of his book and gives them a discount. Do you know you can get the book discounted on Amazon? Do you know Amazon are selling it for less than £5? Because they're selling it as a lost leader. So, of course, he's actually shifting quite a lot. But he's, it's not selling at the, at the retail price. No, I, I, don't, um, I don't think he takes them out for lunch. I don't, well, I don't think so. I can't remember, actually, what he did last year. Whether he sort of buys them, you know, solid silver and gold gifts and myrrh and frankincense or something like that. I don't know. I don't know where he take people. I don't know what he does half the time. It's a bit difficult to know. I don't know. Perhaps you take people to the Ivy. That'd be quite nice, wouldn't it? This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. Would you live in the town that Charles built? He didn't build it. It's called Poundbury, I think, or something like that. It's a bit sort of cosy, cosy, sweet, sweet. And and they've asked all sorts of totally irrelevant people. Would you go and live there? Well, if you wanted to, you can. You can go and buy property. I'm assuming they must be having. So they they want to keep it going. 
but uh, but Poundbury is this sort of I think it, it's got a population of about, if memory serves me, three thousand residents, and uh, also provide probably about two thousand people employed in in the businesses there. It just looks like you know a little sort of town. It's near, near Dorchester. Uh, it was started in 1993, and they've had sort of you know praise and criticism. I mean, whether you'd want to live there, I can't imagine. Doesn't strike me. I mean, it's a bit. Do you know that in America there is a the 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 city that Disney built, and it's a Disney city, and all the houses are sort of painted, and it's a Mickey Mouse Avenue and all this kind of stuff. That's slightly off the wall, isn't it? Really, Poundbury? Would you want to live there? You'd love it, Dad. You'd love it. Honestly, you really would. You'd be in charge of all the games and everything else to get people going at the weekend. <laughs> Have you? Oh, there's no there's no cars. You never said there's there's cars. I can see cars. Yeah, I think you're fibbing about that one. You're obviously putting out not enough cars. Oh, right. One car per per six families. So, in fact, it was built on Duchy of Cornwall land. I didn't know that. And you can just build... So, it, it, is that ours? I don't know. Do we own that? Do we not? I don't, I've got no idea. Free biscuits. Free biscuits. Well, he doesn't even own that anymore. Doesn't he license it to Waitrose? Yes, I believe so. Yes. Yes, Duchy Originals, I believe, is licensed. Was that your favourite, the Dutchy Biscuits? <laughs> I'm not sure if I'd want to live there, though. Is it going to be a bit too twee? Is it going to be a little bit too cosy-cosy? I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I'd want to live cosy-cosy. Do you think he's there? Well, in fact, when they did a documentary on Windsor, it showed Philip going to the farm shop on the estate. Yeah, potatoes are very good this year. You know, and, and people go, oh, you know, saying rude words. Oh, look at me, look at me. It's Prince Philip. Here he is. He shops here as well. No, he doesn't. He just went down there for the, wait, you want me to go in and film or something? I don't know. Probably sounds more like Prince Charles. But uh, do I want to go and live there? I don't think so. But they've asked people like Anthea Turner. Well, she'd go and live there. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Go on, Anthea, you go live there. Do everybody a favour. Poundbury, says Jill. My old company who made me redundant in April rent an office in Poundbury. Rents are huge, presumably. That's why I was made redundant. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, is it famous for anything, Poundbury, apart from being Prince Charles's experimental town and they go oh it's fantastic he knows all about towns and everything else but some people say it's it's not you know that nice a place to go to i don't actually see see the problem with it but uh but cadbury's built one years ago cadbury's have got a town haven't they bourneville which always sounded lovely i was thinking oh god imagine a whole town and it was all geared to the workers celebration is what the disney development in california is called i think it was reported the land it was built on is haunted no it isn't there is no such thing as what noise my stomach, that's what it is. My stomach is empty. My stomach is haunted. Ooh, scary. Ooh. Come in. Oh, hello. <laughs> haunted. Is there a pound land in Poundbury? I bet there isn't. I, bet there... I mean, I'm, I'm only saying that because I'm assuming that they might not put one in there because Prince Charles might get a pound land. What's that? And they go, it's a down-market, cheapo, cheapo shop. Oh, you didn't want that. No, no, no. I should imagine... Because you know that for Christmas, the royal family buy each other silly presents. They don't, they don't buy anything expensive. You're not going to go out and buy jewellery or something for the, uh, for the richest woman in the land and her, her jewellery. So they buy silly presents. And I think the Queen starts writing her cards in the summer because she has to send 500. And uh, that'll be 500 close personal friends. So you can imagine, and she sends them to all the staff and everything else, so they, they get a card as well, which is nice, isn't it? 
James says, Steve, there is most definitely not a Poundland in Poundbury. <gasps> and he would know he's a radio presenter. And Julie says, I visit Poundbury often as I only live a few miles away. I can confirm no Poundland. Waitrose is the main shop there. Very good proper butchers, though, but everything is very pricey as you're paying the Poundbury prices. Head two miles into Dorchester, which is the county town for Dorset, for proper shopping. Uh, would you live in the town that Charles built? How long he spends there? I've got no idea. So they've asked various people. They've asked Sarah Beanie. They've asked Virginia Blackburn. Chris Ship, the ITV's royal editor. Uh, plus they've asked Adam Helleker, the Sunday, Sunday Express columnist. And then for some reason they asked Anthea Turner. What would you ask her for? What does she know about that? She says, I've read about Poundbury. It sounds absolutely idyllic. Why would you want to live anywhere else? Well, go and live there then, dear. Go and live there. She says, it's built on Duchy of Cornwall land, so Prince Charles can have anything he wants. I can only imagine it'll be perfect. Poundbury has created hundreds of jobs, and I'm sure there'll be a good post office, doctor, surgery, dentist, and everything else needed. She's finally lost the plot. <laughs> She's finally gone. Finally gone. Let's pop her down there. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. Uh, snowflakes are getting rid of Christmas decorations. What are they putting in their place? Unicorns. What is it with unicorns? Have people gone mad for unicorns? Research from American Express claims that the sensitive youngsters believe that normal decorations hamper their self-expression. So some people have got um, mermaids and dolphins, which you hang on the tree. How ridiculous, honestly. Stupid people. The giftware store says we've noticed a huge increase in sales of non-traditional Christmas decorations. That's all right. I don't, I don't have a problem with people not wanting... You know, Christmas decorations. But, I mean, sorry, unicorns and mermaids. I don't think so. It's Christmas. What's that got to do with it? There was no mermaid mention in the... I've seen a Christmas carol. I've seen the, the whole nativity. We've got sheep, horse, donkey, baby Jesus, manger, Mary Joseph, a couple of servants from the place they were staying at, and then the wise men, and then a few shepherds with their sheep. God, it must have stunk to high heaven. Well, no, Kermit the Frog, you say, I'm sorry, I think the Muppets hijacked Christmas, you know, with Michael Caine. They did. And have you ever seen that film, The Muppet Christmas Carol? You watch it every Christmas. Oh, that's good. There you go. We've got big, big thumbs up on that one. Do you all sit round as a family or they just lock you in your bedroom as usual? Click that door key goes. They go, well, we have it. Really? All of you sit down and watch it. Oh, that's so lovely. I'm feeling ill. And, um, yes, we're going to watch the... D we're going to... Mother, we're going to put the DVD machine on. Everybody crowds into the sitting room, you know, and they say... And, and then the lights dim slowly, because they've run out of a shilling in the metre. And, 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 and Thomas goes, I'm going to be Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. And the, the, the television bursts into life in the corner. And they're lucky because they, they've actually got... I think it was one of the first ones that they've got up there. So it's black and white. So they haven't seen colour. And sometimes Thomas, playing Tiny Tim, gets some colours in on the screen. And then they can watch colour television. Uh, it's like, and they all sit down and watch it. And they go... And they sing a song. There's the songs that go with the Muppet Christmas Carol. And then, and then his, his mother goes, and we're going to have... We're going to have... Christmas lunch very shortly and, and Thomas goes I'm going to get the Christmas crackers and he staggers in with the Christmas crackers which is so big because there's 13 of them and they all get a Christmas cracker and then he puts the hat on and there's bangs going off all over the place and trying to read all the little snaps and trying to work out what the free gift is and then he puts the little paper hat on and he sits at the table and then the, the paper hat falls over his mouth 
And everybody laughs, but they had a nice time. This is LBC. Hear Steve Allen live every Sunday morning from five and Monday to Friday morning from four. Anybody answer the question about why Venus is so prominent in the morning sky? I don't even know where it's supposed to be. Go and have a look at Venus. I don't know where it is. I don't, is, it, is it straight up in the sky? I don't know. I don't know where it's supposed to be. You won't find it, will you? No. I'm just asking, you know. just thought you'd want to enter into the spirit of it and maybe go and find out if Venus was up there in the sky. What's it near? Is it near? It's not near Mars, is it? Can we see Mars or can we not see Mars? Mars is the other way, is it? Should make it very popular then. I wonder if they've got reality shows on Mars. I wonder. It'd be quite a nice thing to have. I'd quite like to go to another planet just to sort of settle down there and, and see if you can go to the edge and fall off. I know it's not, no, I know it's not flat, but, but when you see it being round, I'm quite well aware it's not flat. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> and, it's, and it's round. But then why would it not be, you know, you can, because we can see it going round. It's like the moon. We can see it going round. But whenever there's a spaceship that goes round, we can't see the spaceship. Does that mean it's not been there? There is no spaceship. You don't know the answer to this one, do you? See, I mean, are we totally convinced that we did go to the moon? Are we convinced we did land? Or are we going for the conspiracy theory, which says that we never did. It was all done in an aircraft hangar in the middle of the Nevada desert. Venus is in the east, says Amy, and is reflecting the rising sun. Well, listen, I've tried it around here. They're not, they're not prepared to go and have a look for it, because I don't know what we're, what we're looking at at all. Yeah, do, but does Venus shape your, your day and bring you opportunities? You know, and we all know Mars is oblong. It's similar to a Milky Way, Steve. Who needs experts? It's true, but the trouble is, I used to identify Ryan uh, Belt, uh, Ryan's Belt, and I could do the plough. That was the first one I learned the plough. And then you look at it, you go, just four stars, you know, five stars or something like that. They go, that's the plough. We had a Ryan's Belt, but there was no trousers. Worked that one out. Uh, and now we're hunting, we're hunting Venus up there, for goodness sake. And we don't even know. What we're, yeah, we can find the moon. I'm quite good. Especially if, if it's a misty morning, you can't find the moon because it disappears behind clouds. But uh, I'd like to see Venus because I don't know where, the, where it is in relation to the to the hemisphere. Is it is it visible? Is it big? Is it smaller? I'd like to see Pluto and Saturn. What a Pluto. And uh, not quite the sky at night, is it? I don't know anything about that. Oh, do you know what the sky at night is? You don't know, do you? <laughs> I must be the oldest person here. You've never heard of the sky's night. You ever heard of Patrick Moore? No, you've never heard of Patrick Moore either. I mean, seriously, I'm facing the wrong way. I can't believe you've never heard of The Sky at Night. The longest-running TV programme almost in the world. It only lasted a few minutes, but it, it just ran for years and years and years. I loved it. I thought it was very good. I liked Patrick Moore. He was sort of very, very sort of bullient. Sort of like a more animated Winston Churchill. You have heard of Winston Churchill, haven't you? Possibly not, I fear. He sells insurance. I bet you've heard of the girls from Love Island, though, haven't you? I bet you've heard of all of them. I bet you know all their names. You could tell us what, what their previous jobs were and stuff like that. I bet you've even got a calendar in your room. I bet you've got a calendar held up with blue tack. It'll be Pamela Anderson, won't it? Ooh, Pammy. Running up the beach. Boobs wobbling about all over the place, honestly. Tanker driver Phil says, Venus... It's so bright because its thick clouds reflect most of the sunlight that reaches it, about 70%, back into space. And because it's the closest planet to Earth, 
Venus can often be seen within a few hours after sunset or before sunrise as the brightest object in the sky, other than the moon. Well, there you go. I'm sending him out. He's going to go and have to find this thing. I want to know whether it's up there. I can't bear the idea that somebody else is, uh, is going to see something that we can't see. And we're in the middle of London. This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. The kids taking panto rolls from dwarfs, grumpy dwarfs, because they're very expensive to get dwarfs for pantomimes. And there's not enough of them. They can earn up to £1,200 a week. And so... Equity recommend that youngsters earn half the wages of adult stars. It's about £236 for seven days. And uh, Steve Redford, who runs the Mini Men Agency, reckons the paying public are being shortchanged. Well, I mean, you're, you're probably right, actually. You're probably right. But at the same time, it's so, if you've got seven dwarves, you're looking at a huge bill. If you've got seven children dressed as dwarves, that's like Ken Dodd and his Diddy Men. They were all children. don't remember anybody complaining about that. But, uh, but they could have done. Great British Pantomime Awards judge Hayden Parker says, very few productions use dwarf actors nowadays. I've sat through productions where they use children wearing dwarf masks, which is horrendous. It boils down to the fact that in this cost-cutting day and age, dwarves are expensive. But somebody here, Dean Watton, who appeared as a dwarf in Snow White at the Bristol Hippodrome, says, I've been acting for about 17 years, and to see somebody else portray a dwarf role really takes away our opportunity in life, to be an actor. If you took your children to see Snow White and saw seven men of average height playing dwarves' kids, um, sorry, playing dwarves, kids would be confused. It destroys the magic. I don't think I've ever actually seen... Have I, have I been asked to do a pantomime? Uh, sort of, years ago. Yeah, the Wimbledon Theatre. I said, no, I'm a radio presenter. I don't do pat. And also, can you imagine? You finish work, then you've got to go home and sleep, and you've got to... Oh, God, I couldn't manage it. And yeah, it doesn't stop some radio presenter. I think it's mainly local. BBC local radio presenters, I think, are the ones who do, you know, pantomime. And But, uh, no, it, it's not for us. Not for us. I'm a radio presenter. I don't do... Why would I want to encroach into somebody else's territory? Oh, yes, you would. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Oh, yes, you would. And so on and so forth. Uh, so, I mean, I don't believe that. I don't I don't think that little children going to the pantomime now would actually have, a, have the faintest idea. It's just, this is Snow White. Hello. Hello. And this, these are the dwarfs. Hello. You know, hello, they're all fine. But uh, so 7,000 a week you can save on a production of Snow White if you use children. But there you go. Unless, of course, you're a naturally little person anyway. But uh, that's what's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. It was like the one the other week who completely got the wrong end of the the, uh, the stick and thought in Shrek, uh, Lord Farquharson, uh, was it should have been in fact played by a dwarf. And they went, no, it's not. No, it's not. Absolutely not. That was down in Portsmouth, wasn't it? Portsmouth, Plymouth, one of those. Ooh. Plymouth, Portsmouth, one of them. Portsmouth, we think. So, uh, everybody will moan. Go and see a pantomime. You'll love it. If you've never seen one before, they're wonderful. I wonder if Jim at Radio Shropshire's in panto this year with a local vicar and the lady who does his weather, says Ian. We've not heard from him, actually. Probably very wisely. His boss has said, do not. They'll rip you apart. <laughs> This is somebody who was trying to claim that uh, they had bigger audiences. I said, listen, please, please. Nobody gets a bigger audience than me at this time of the morning. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Claire says, I'm four foot seven. Could I be a dwarf? Not really. Not really. I don't think age has got anything to do with it. It doesn't matter if you're getting on a bit. I think it's, it's definitely, it's definitely younger. Uh, sorry, shorter. You've got to be shorter. I would think that they'd be looking at, I mean, if you say four foot seven... 
Oh, I don't know, actually. You might be right. Four foot seven, that's under five foot, isn't it? You, you, you might be right. You might be right. We'll have to ask, actually. There must be a sort of um, an official line of how big a dwarf is. But age? Oh, under four foot ten, Claire. You're a dwarf. Is that for men and women? All right. Under four foot ten. You're a dwarf. Not could you be a dwarf. You are. That's lovely. Nicholas says, my uncle was the tallest dwarf in Acton. The tallest dwarf in, oh, tallest dwarf in action. You've got to be under four foot ten to be considered as a dwarf. So that's not me, is it? And probably not many of you, but it, it could be Claire. Opening night on Wednesday for my 13-year-old daughter, who is playing Doc in Snow White at the Towngate Theatre in Basildon. She's got to wear a giant head and boots, and they're using voiceovers to make the kids sound like old men. 30 performances, and all she gets is a gift voucher from a well-known high street retailer. I know, but of course, if she doesn't do it, there's an army of people who want to do it. That's, you know, I could only sort of uh, say, it's listen, if you can get free, free tuition and that experience of being on stage, whew, you'll never... Be- when I did some uh, operatic things, you know, light operatic, when I was at school, you know, The Merry Widow and My Fair Lady and stuff like that... Um, I mean, we, we just looked on it as a great exercise. We thought it was fantastic. You went down there, you put put your costume on, and we'd sit out the back waiting for our bit, and somebody go, OK, you're on in a few minutes. And we'd go and hand drinks. Oh, I loved it. Loved every minute of it. I thought it was great. This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. Daniela Westbrook is offering for 15 quid, I know, uh, to do you a video message. What? What? Daniela Westbrook here. Happy Christmas. You know, and that's that nets her 15 quid. I mean, to be honest with you, not going to save her bacon, is it? I don't think. What would I say in one of those things? If I, if I was doing it, if I was not buying it, if I was the person who was, somebody was paying me, oh, I'd say whatever anyone wanted me to say. Hello, this is Steve. Wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Cheers for listening. What do you think I'd say? I don't know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Bar humbug. I've always wanted to be the voice of, of the sat-nav. Left. In 300 yards, turn left. Hello, cloth ears. Here we go again. In 300 yards, turn le- turn round. Turn round. Turn the car round. Come on. Now you've got to turn right. Oh, come on. It can't be that bloody difficult, surely. You know, come on. Here we go. Ah, oh, there we go. We've gone right. OK. Poodle down here for about three miles. Yeah, I'll be quiet for three miles. I lied. I lied. OK, slow down, slow down. Hedgehog crossing the road. Slow... Too late, too late. That sort of banging sound you hear is the hedgehog going round and round on your front wheel. And uh, we go round here, and that's like, oh, let's go left, shall we? And where are we? We're lost, because I don't like you. And I've decided to make life as difficult as possible. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. Sweating in the sauna could cut heart risk. I always thought that was very popular. I used to have a sauna when I used to finish working overnight years and years ago. And I should go up to the David Lloyd Centre at Heathrow. Because somebody said to me, if you've got a cold or you feel a bit sort of, you know, having a sauna is actually quite good. So I did. Yes, then people take their towels off and then you have to look at the ceiling. It's like, la, 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 la. <laughs> Mind you, I told you, we did that in Austria. And we're sitting there, me and a friend of mine who worked for the radio station out there. And a family come in, a whole family. Mother, father, son who was about 15 and daughter about 16. I don't know where to look. I seriously didn't know where to look. It was unbelievable. They don't, they don't think anything about it at all. 
Nothing. It's odd, isn't it, really? Whereas I'm sort of terribly prudish. I'm sitting there in a full sou'wester, a hat, gloves, scarf, the whole business. And I didn't rush outside and roll in the snow. I don't do that kind of thing either. Or go in the plunge pool, which is ice cold. What's the point of that? What is the point of putting yourself through that sheer purgatory? Leading Britain's conversation. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. Jerry says farewell as his ferry finishes crossing the Mersey. Yes, Jerry Mars. He's decided... He's not died. Made it sound like he was doing an obituary. He's, uh, he's just decided he wants to retire. He, he will walk alone through a storm with his head held high, but he won't be afraid of the dark because at the end of the storm, there's a golden sky, I think. <laughs> I love doing that. I think. And, uh, they used to do the sleet silver something. Wasn't it Peter Sellers who did that song? It has been... A hard day's night, and I have been working like a dog. Did you ever hear that? A fabulous song, honestly. Good old Peter says. Who also did Balham, Gateway to the South. So ferry, cross the Mersey, for this land. I love that song. Do you know, every time you, you hear it, I've, I've never been on a ferry across the Mersey. I've never been on anything like that. But every time you heard uh, Jerry Marsden singing it with Jerry and the Pacemakers... It just seemed to work. It, you know, for people who lived up there, it's like having that great piece of history. That's where, that's where the pop, as far as I was concerned, started from. More bands came out of Liverpool than, than anywhere else. And then, of course, and I didn't know that when they did this song, I didn't realise it came from a musical. I had no idea. I just thought it was a nice song. One that they did for Hillsborough. Just for Hillsborough. The Liverpool anthem. It's got all the people. It's quite sad, actually, isn't it? Really? They're all miming. All these people miming along to this song, but it's Jerry who's singing it. Isn't that lovely? I've, I've, I haven't seen this before. This is very emotional. All these. Oh, dear me. Very good, isn't it? Very good. about football I've never quite got it and because I've never been to football but when you see this you've got all sorts of ordinary people it's filmed in black and white actually which adds to it and then with with Jerry's singing over the top of it of the original version of the song and they're all miming along to it how nice is that how good is that what a lovely version of you'll never walk alone how lovely but uh, he's hanging up his hat because after 30 years he used to come back to the to the stadium to sing it he lives over in Spain he's in good health but uh, he's, he's decided he wants to finish touring at the age of 76. He's been married to his lovely wife, Pauline, for 53 years. They've got two daughters and he wants to have a bit of him time, a bit of quality time. And you can understand that, can't you, really? And so he thanked all the fans on, the, uh, on, his, uh, on his website. They were also, I think, the first band to have the first three singles reach the top of the charts, which was, how do you do what you do to me? Uh, and then, I like it. And you'll never walk alone, which became an anthem, as you know, for Liverpool FC. Uh, the band itself uh, split in 1966, but, but reformed in 1974. Then they carried on touring, and um, I think he's had a triple heart bypass, 
which uh, I've never had. I've got stents, but I don't have a triple heart bypass, bypass. And the last time they performed together was in Portsmouth in March. I bet Noreen's seen them. Noreen's bound to have seen them. She's seen every, every one of these groups. She can tell you the history, chapter and verse. I saw Jerry Marsden at Chatham, says Stan, with PJ Proby. Fantastic. Yes, and Ferry Cross the Mersey, says Ian, is a clever and beautiful song. Starts with two haunting verse lines and explodes into a, into a superb chorus. It offers a powerful sense of belonging. His voice piercingly accurate. Well worth a play on your music system to capture those first two haunting lines. You remember this little bit? All together now. Life. Ready? Here we go. Life goes on day after day. It's almost unusual voice, hasn't it? It couldn't be anybody else singing this but Jerry Marsden. Just in case you think we're do- he's given up touring, he's going to spend time. And, uh, and then the title of the song is... So fairy, cross the mercy. What do you think about it? They've got strings on this. This is the 60s. You know, it's so sophisticated... And people obviously in Liverpool are terribly proud of their ferry system and the fact it takes you backwards and forwards. But uh, I just think it's lovely. I love all of those sort of songs. Something about the 60s. God, I'm old. God, I'm getting to that stage now. I've started, I've started reminiscing. Not very good at all. Uh, Mo says, uh, thank you for the burst of Jerry and the Pacemakers. My favourite group in the 60s. I was never a Beatles fan. Uh, yes, he did have a brother in the group. He did have a brother in the, in the same group. What happened? I've, I've got no idea. He died 12... 12- Twelve years ago. Did he? Freddie died twelve years ago. Crikey, there you go. See, the tr- How old was he? He can't have been very old, can he, really? If, if Jerry's 78 now, so uh, he must have been about... Perhaps he was a bit younger than we thought, actually. Freddie Marsden. Here we go. Ferry Marsden. 66. There was something about Liverpool groups, wasn't it? They all dressed them up. They put their nice suits on and, and everything else, and they love it. He was the, uh, he was the drummer. For the Mersey Beats as well. So he got loads of coverage, which is good. He was solidly at the, uh, at the music's heart, which is, which is good. So I'm glad you liked the little burst that we had. Met lots of celebrities in my work over the decades, says Steph. Only time I lost it was when I met Jerry Marsden in the 90s. Stood there like an idiot saying, hello, it's lovely to meet you in a soppy voice. God, it makes me cringe. I did the same to a very, very well-known Hollywood actor who was appearing down at... Well, he wasn't appearing. He was he just went down for a drink to heaven. And I went in there to see... Who was I going to see? Was it Alan Dodgen or something? It might have been. Uh, or Paul Savory. And I got drunk. One of those rare occasions where I'd had a few sherbets. And, and, and Paul introduced me to this famous Hollywood actor. And he said, oh, Steve, this is so-and-so, so-and-so. And all I said was, welcome to London. <laughs> that was it. And then I sort of slowly sort of turned round and just sort of collapsed onto a settee. Welcome to London. What a thing to say, honestly. Leading Britain's conversation. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. There is a lonely pensioner uh, who's been conned out of 19,000 quid after falling for a, um, a porn star online. Simon Frost spent two months exchanging emails and calls with Eva or two from Gardner uh, from Ghana after meeting her on a dating site. She said she needed money to claim her late dad's estate, so he took out paid debt. Oh, honestly, you hear it a million times, isn't it? I mean, surely, you know, uh, she didn't show up. He, he was hoping if she sent her the money, she'd turn up in England. I mean, what? this is a dentist. This is a dentist. 
He discovered she was a fraudster using photos of innocent porn star Brianna Lee. He said, I was used. No kidding. No kidding. I mean, surely the alarm bells must have rung. I mean, surely. Doesn't matter. You know, 75, a dentist, an intelligent person. And uh, she said she needed money to claim her late dad's estate. Well, since when does that happen? Since when? I mean, dear Lord. It's just embarrassing, isn't it, that these things happen all the time. People get caught out because there are, there are crooks out there. There are crooks out there. I don't know. What do we do? What do we do? You can't offer any more advice. I've always said if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. And these old people on the, on the internet, they'll tell lies through their teeth. They want your money. They couldn't care less whether you suffer as a result. You could have a heart attack and die. They wouldn't care. Nothing to do with them. Oh, you're not in favour of the of the poor dentist this morning, are you? Losing his 19,000. People have said, no fool like an old fool. The dentist in question must be sick to the back teeth. Like you've stated, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. The moment somebody starts asking for money, the alarm bells ring. Thank you. Goodbye. But no, he took out payday loans. He took out payday loans. I mean, I don't know whether he had 19,000 or not, but he certainly lost it to her. And, of course, there's no chance of getting it back because he gave it voluntarily. Nobody twisted his arm. And you think, why? And also, she was a porn star. Why would you be giving £19,000 to a porn star unless she's really unsuccessful? Which, of course, this one isn't because she managed to get twenty grand out of you. And these are just the tip of the iceberg around the world. There are people sitting there now chatting away to women, pretending to be somebody who worked in the American forces and would love to come over to this country. And you sound absolutely the ideal person. But unfortunately, because of my medication I'm on, I don't have the money to, to travel. And also, how people fall for this guff, I've n- I'll never know. If I live to be 37 and three quarters. Seriously, I find it absolutely amazing that people fall for this. And then somebody says, oh, can you send me some money? And then somebody said, but it's so plausible. It's so plausible, like the woman who bought all the diamonds. And it turned out she was buying industrial diamonds. But she, by that time, she'd gone so far down the list and she'd been ripped off by so many companies. who were all fake. They were selling fake rubbish. There's loads of them. They're all over the television at the moment. People selling all sorts of stuff and laughing. They go, and for all you collectors out there, and I keep shouting at the television, no, a collector would be spending a lot of money on something because it's quite rare. Not a tatty piece of cheap jewellery that's made probably in the back streets of somewhere. That's ridiculous. That's not for collectors. That's for, for people who don't know any differently. But then you think if, you know, a 75-year-old dentist can get ripped off. It happens all the time. There was a woman, wasn't there? I think she went on this morning, some years ago, and she'd been having a conversation with, she thought, an American GI who, uh, who would love to come and visit her and love to get married and all the rest of it. And she'd sent money. In the end, it was something like £34,000. And I remember thinking at the time, did the alarm bells not ring? And she said, well... A sort of. And you think, sort of? I mean, I don't know whether or not I'd fall for the same kind of thing. I'm not sure if I would be that gullible and fall for it. This is LBC. Here, Steve Allen live. Every Sunday morning from five and Monday to Friday morning from four. What have we got here? Steve, mucking out... Oh, I could get everybody on this programme. Listening to you this morning while mucking out and feeding my seven llamas. Seven llamas, Casper, Patch, Monty, Philippe, Albie, Lady Grey and Juliet in deepest central France. Foggy, damp and cold this morning. But your show always helps warm the proverbial cookies. Uh, which sounds lovely, actually. Cockle, sorry. Am I your first llama farmer listener, says Llama Chris? You are. You are. And I like the idea that you're over there and it's foggy, damp and cold. And llamas look lovely. Are they the ones that spit? 
Delama's split spit, or is it the other ones? Whatever it is, I'd, I'm, I'm not wild about the idea that something could spit in your face, I'm afraid. Not my sort of thing at all. I'd have to get them trained not to spit. But you are right, you are my first llama farmer that I've ever had. Do we eat llamas? Sorry to say that at this time. No, we don't. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I don't want to, you know, woo, don't, I don't want to go down that route. Otherwise, people say, oh, Steve Allen advocated eating llamas this morning. I merely asked the question, do we? Because I'm not, I'm not sure. About it. But they're lovely. They're ever, so, they're ever so nice, aren't they? Is it Peru they come from? Peruvian llamas. Very nice indeed. Uh, I've just turned on, having woken up, a bit grumpy, hooting with laughter, says Nicola, about spitting llamas. Our butcher does all sorts, but I've never seen llama meat. No, I haven't either, but I'm sure they do spit. I'm pretty... Or one of them does. What are the other things that look like llamas? Alpacas. Do they spit? Don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't want anything that spits on me. I find it difficult enough to look at sheep being sheared when they're quite big. And then they then they sort of dip them and everything. These poor sheep. Al- alpacas spit. Do llamas not spit? Do llamas not spit? I can cope with it if they don't spit, or if they're little llamas, I don't mind. They spit as well. Why do they spit? What dreadful manners. Why have they not been told? I hate it when I see people. If every time I see somebody spitting, I would go, ugh, dirty. I have to do it. I can't help it. It's just a disgusting habit. Uh, James says, I'm now sitting here thinking what llama tastes like. Don't. Don't. It's not necessary, is it? What are the other animals that they eat all the time that sort of people have started cult? Ostrich. People have started cultivating. Apparently it tastes like chicken, but come on. Between you and me and the gatepost, everything tastes like chicken. The French... the French. I've eaten reindeer. I've eaten reindeer for Christmas dinner. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. We tried to tell the kids. Nothing to do with Rudolph. It might be a friend of his or something. What do you think they eat in Lapland? They've only got reindeer. We didn't see one cow at all. It was all reindeer, and so we ate reindeer. Reindeer stew, reindeer steaks, reindeer just about everything, I think. But the good news is, if ever you go, uh, you will be going there and... And you'll be sleeping like a log, I promise you. And there's no, there's no snow at the moment either. There's no snow. Um, my my ex producer Mark says camels spit as well, and the other bit I'll I'll leave to him. So uh, so camels, I've seen camels spit. Why do they spit? Dirty, dirty animals, Mark. Although I do love a camel. We had a live camel last year. We had reindeer in Twickenham this year for the turning on the lights, which was quite sweet. They were up the other end by the green, in case you say, where did they come from? Uh, Steve, um, I thought I'd try ostrich once. Don't bother. Can't get many in the oven. Uh, apparently in South America, they eat guinea pigs. I know this, says Tim, as the mother-in-law's from Henley, Bolivia. Uh, he is in Henley. I've, I've seen people eating guinea pigs. I've seen They wrap them in clay, and then when they're cooked, then you take the clay off and it takes away the fur. I know. It sounds awful, doesn't it? This is the best of Steve Allen on LBC. Steve, um, a short reminder. Dig out all those vouchers you stuffed in a drawer from last Christmas. I never had any vouchers. I don't get vouchers. I don't, I mean, as, as, sorry. Oh, yes. Our old mate Barry likes vouchers. Uh, Phil says, I spent 86 quid in John Lewis online and actually paid £1.46, including delivery. I hate people like you. I hate people like you. He's like, wait a minute, can we get through? Because I went the other day to Marks and Spencer's and I did spend over £40. And if you spend over 35 you get a fiver off on a voucher. But I didn't have a voucher. And the lady on the till said, wait a minute, I've got a voucher here. And so she put it. Why they don't do that for everybody? Because I spent the other day, I spent 40 quid, and the till roll came out. I just got a receipt. There was no voucher on it. 
And yet some little old biddy in front of me who just bought a small fairy cake, she gets a blooming voucher. I feel like saying, why has she got a voucher? That's my voucher. But I never complain. You notice about that. I'm, I'm fairly good at not complaining about things. I'm quite easygoing. I let everything just sort of... It doesn't bother me. It's like Christmas. I mean, I, I stopped... I stopped the tears a long time ago when I suddenly realised at 15 that I wasn't getting as many presents as everybody else was. And I thought, I don't really care. And now that I can buy the presents I need, I don't need anything. The best of Steve Allen on LBC. Children as young as two. Parents are fearing their cursing offspring may be kicked out. One said her three-year-old son ran around the playground shouting, effort, effort, effort. Three times. Obviously, it's the first time. Didn't have much impact. She says, we've been watching what we say at home, but he knows the words now. And apparently 12% of staff in these nursery homes regularly hear children swear. Wow. But apparently, they say, uh, John Warren, who's a childcare worker, says, uh, kids hear more expletives than ever. He said, but don't jump. uh, but, But don't be so quick to jump on the child who says poo, fart and bum. What, at two? (laughs) <laughs> Poo, fart and bum. All oh, right, they always think that's funny, don't they? You know, bum. <laughs> and uh, and poo and fart. And apparently the F word's OK. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, F you, teacher. All that kind of stuff. It just seems impossible, doesn't it, at two years old? But they don't know it's a rude word. And if you laugh, it just encourages them to do more of it. I can't remember when I first used the foot word. I can't remember. I never saw it in front of my mother... Never. I would never use the F word in front of my mother. Not in a million years. The nearest I said was, bugger. That was the nearest thing I got. And I thought I nearly got a clip round the back of the head for that one. But uh, I don't think, I didn't swear at home. We didn't, it didn't come into it. My parents didn't swear. Well, if they did, they did it privately. But nowadays, everybody swears. Look at the effing producer sitting there, a big effing smile all over his effing face, you know. And so it goes on like that. And that, that would be quite normal conversation. But no, I didn't, I can't remember the time I used the F word. I can't, re- I, I can't remember, but I can't remember back last from yesterday, so there's no point in asking me anything at all. Uh, Steve, do you think swearing has lost its shock value? Um, probably, yes. Although if you see some people, uh, Roy Chubby Brown, for example, make, makes a living of swearing, and he gets all sorts of people in the audience, and they, they think it's hilarious. He uses every word under the sun. Add descriptions, which I can't use at all. Uh, Frankie Boyle. Swears a lot in his act. In fact, actually, um, I've even heard, I'm pretty certain, might have to stand corrected, but I'm pretty certain I heard Victoria Wood swear once on stage. I th- I can't remember if I did or not. It, it was certainly somebody who I sort of went, oh, I was a bit taken aback. You know, it, it's like sort of Julie Andrews swearing. You just don't imagine she would. She'd probably, yes, the, or the Queen, you know. It's been an Annas H. Horribilis. <laughs> F, sorry. H? What was H? I don't know. Uh, Jackie says, if people knew what they looked and sounded like when they swear, they wouldn't do it at all. Friday, I've got lunch in town at Little Italy. Tony's place. And it was all very lovely, and I left there, and it had gone... We were into dusk. So I get back to Waterloo Station, and uh, the first train that I I managed to grab was the Windsor and Eaton Riverside train. Generally leaves at, you know, coming up a few minutes to the hour and 28 minutes past the hour. So I get on it, and it's quite busy. It's quite busy. It's about sort of four o'clock by this time. So it's it's all the people who are going home. And I'm sort of sitting down. I managed to find a seat where there's only one seat next to me. I don't want to sit with any more than that. Thank you. And um, and there's this girl and she's two seats in front of me. She's on a, a bank. There's two seats, one side and two seats facing her. So it's, it's one of those sort of situations. And she's sort of being loud and all the rest of it. 
and she was quite clearly drunk. And all we managed to gather is that uh, she worked in PR. That's all I know. So if you were that drunkard going home the other day, because we were doing fine. She was sitting opposite this this bloke and his girlfriend, and she was going, so are you two together? She's like this. Seriously, she's that drunk. You know, I've been drinking for the last, oh, hours, she goes. And then we start the swearing. I'm so effing drunk and all the rest. I mean, seriously, it, it was getting worse. I nearly stood up and said, excuse me, there are young people on this train. Why don't you keep your big fat mouth shut? Because she thought she was being very, very clever. But there's nothing sadder than somebody drunk on the train. And she goes, how are you in together, you two? She went, oh, that's really great. That's really great. And he was entering into it. I'm thinking, why are you talking to this drunk old bat? This woman's a liability. I was waiting to find out the name of the charity she was working for because I'd have bloody well named him, I tell you. Oh, no hesitation. And she kept talking about, oh, we've had to do this thing, and this PR stuff, and it was, like, really boring. So I just, I had drinks. Uh, I've had quite a lot of drinks. And, and she was getting louder, and, of course, the, the carriage was getting quieter and quieter. Everybody listening to the rantings of this sad old drunk baggage. Dreadful. But as I say, it was touch and go with her. I stood up because there were young people in there. Nobody said a word. Brits must be, you know, dreadful. If I'd had children on, I'd have got to go up and say, excuse me, there are young people here. We don't want to listen to your foul mouth. Keep it shut. There's young children here. Learn some manners. You know, probably would have got a round of applause, I should imagine. <laughs> but it was just it was just awful. Awful. I couldn't wait to get off the train. I looked at her and she just looked like some sad old drunken, lonely person. Uh, Steve, if young children, says Paul, persist in swearing, tell them a dinosaur will come into their bedroom at night and bite their heads off. Still works for me. <sighs> we, we never had that sort of threat at all. I was more worried about earwigs, called earwigs, because they would climb inside your ear, lay eggs, and then they'd eat you from the inside out. I used to panic every time I see an, inwig, uh, an earwig. Oh, terrible. Absolutely awful. Producer's mum threatened to wash their mouths out with, with soap. Soap. Used to be, I'll wash your mouth out with carbolic, and they would, to, to, stop you, uh, to stop you swearing. Didn't work, though, did it, really? No, didn't work. But we still know the difference between right and wrong. Uh, Claire says, kids love anything to do with bums. First, <laughs> first time I used the F word, my dad went mad. I'd been stood up and was cross. Can't use it. Not in front of your parents. That's so disrespectful. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Sunday from 5am.